0: Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 030 on conversation with Wesley Shantz again. And Wes, I can't believe it. We're already
1: to episode 30. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, you do them like every other day, so it's not that unbelievable. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, a lot, lot. A lot of time. spare
0: energy. A lot of spare energy. It's like, why not record in this age of digital technology? If you have something worth saying, might as well keep it, preserve it,
1: hone it. And, well, when necessary, change it. Right, right. Yeah, and then not only that, but you got a... Have you put all of them on YouTube now? I mean, are, are you caught up with that? Is Yeah, I've... them. There might still be a few from
0: um, my first ones, my shorter videos that were like three to five minutes long. Uh, um, <clears throat> so, but yeah, I'm really liking YouTube. as a platform. And I, I'm really hoping to stir up some more traffic there. I know that it's, it's a high-traffic site with a lot of viewership and from what I hear a lot of male viewership and you know I, I lecture on the Iliad and we talk about I think highly abstract topics and ones that I think appeal
1: to everybody but also especially the young men. Sure yeah it seems like there's a really um, incredibly <laughs> uh, voracious audience out there for this kind of material and it's like really I mean, in a way, surprising, I suppose. But then, when you think about it a little more, maybe not. Maybe not so surprising. So, I think it's cool, yeah, to, to get to start a start a conversation think, with everybody out there, yeah. I think it sort of, res- I think it sort of short- shows the image
0: of the positive father of the good king, and that wow. it um, wow. the message that Jordan Peterson seems to be giving, and I would say, echoes throughout all Western history and mythology, is one of paternal responsibility of, of taking. Of taking one's burden unto oneself, of taking one's cross on one's back willingly, of mm. embracing the work in the world of thorns and bristles, and courageously striving forward, and that strikes me as tremendously heroic, and the sort of image that could inspire and motivate a person to live a good life, a meaningful life.
1: It's like a, it's a side of the story that uh, clearly. There's kind of been a vacuum, in a way, in in, in, uh, in at least in terms of the the other side of the story be being told much more uh, vociferously, you know, uh, and you know, historically hadn't been heard that. But so that was something that you and Sarah talked about. I, I got a chance to listen to your conversation today. Was uh, was the differences, right? The the differences between teaching a classroom full of boys, you know, and, and in a mixed group of, of kids. And um, so did you have more thoughts yeah, about yeah, that? Or have I, you been, uh, I've sort of been that? spending
0: a thread on that. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of spun a thread on that. I'm glad you asked me about it um, because I was just wondering if, if her claims correct, and I'll check the literature from the constructivist perspective and John Piaget, I'll also see what Erickson has to say on the issue. And I'll report back on this, but um, uh, she, she claimed, and she claimed from experience, from 10 years of teaching, she's a 10-year teacher, that uh, boys are just in a different place developmentally than girls are. And I'd say I'm in a mixed classroom, and I've been doing it for five years. I would say absolutely true. And so At 14, when they enter high school, that's when we start measuring them in a, a, a more terminal way, in a way leading towards their future where it really matters. That's when their permanent record really kicks in because colleges will be at that transcript. And so if the girls are already out por- performing the boys because they're more developmentally mature, because they have to be more developmentally mature at that point because they're on a clock, because that's just how biology works and the men are on less of a clock. Uh, so uh, The women enter high school more prepared and then they're more successful. And uh, Jordan B. Peterson is uh, the one from whom I take this research. I'll find the exact papers and get back to them, but The women are outperforming the men on the high school level and then at the college level and then at the career level at a substantial rate, which makes perfect sense, I would say, if from the developmental perspective, you buy that girls mature quicker than boys because then it creates a positive feedback loop. That's something we've been talking about here. They experience more success earlier on, ages 14 to 16, which – further engages them in the activities of school and the successful pursuits therein, whereas it further alienates more of the boys who are less
1: developmentally, um, developmentally um, accelerated, you might say. Yeah, No. well, just to, I mean, I'm thinking kind of like on, you know, the myth of Atalanta, right? Yes. And she's she's faster than everyone. And I'm just thinking like, but it's more than that. It's the myth of the, the mother, the mother religions, right? The great mother is always there before the sky gods kind of come in, it seems like. And so it seems like there's this thing where, you know, the woman is always ahead and you're trying to are playing catch up the whole That's time. Right. You know, uh, uh, Why like Eve
0: that. gives the apple to Adam. So the sort of developmental <laughs> arms race. It. So I guess I would, say, I would say, given the culture in which we're living right now, it's pretty clear which is <laughs> getting the upper hand in terms of... Uh, um, Conscious intelligence and embracing the benefits mm-hmm. of. And so, you know, perhaps all, all of this that's been happening has been a call to higher consciousness in, in the men.
1: Sure. That's sort of. I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, it's like.
0: Uh, well, I mean, what other way are we going to go with it? It's not like we can go exactly. backwards in any sort of way. And we can't stay here well, so- in this state of chaos.
1: Yeah, I, I guess what is the, yeah, what is the, the way to, to engage that? So it's like, you, you engage with students in a classroom, and that's, that's kind of one setting, but, you know, then there's this totally other audience, this other audience that we just mentioned, right, that like people watching stuff on YouTube, because they want to, you know, find out about what, what these people are talking about, like, what the heck is going on, and, and, uh, and so, like, where's the, where's the bridge, I guess, between those two worlds, like, the world of the classroom, and the world of the, the YouTube, uh, you know, blogosphere and all all this like online stuff. I think the
0: bridge is Um, being developed. I think more and more we're going to be accessing each other's homes through the computers and we're going to be wanting more genuine and honest communication. Um, And and I think education is going to, I don't know. I think, uh, well, at least at the university level of education, we're going to be able to get a lot more creative with it. Uh, and using digital media and uh, we will be able to connect more people in more places in more interesting ways. I mean, uh, just to your question, it seems sort of like that's what we're doing.
1: We're yeah. Yeah. It strikes me as the, that's true, but it's like the the first thing you want to do when you start like listening to this stuff is like, well, I want to make one like that too. I "I, want to put one out there and get involved in this conversation. So it's, it's
0: really interesting. Yeah, This is how we speak up. This is our rallying cry. This is, we, we're not simply protest, we're not just voices lending our voice in a warlike way, like animals. We're, we're, we're creatures seeking seeking disquisition. We're seeking discourse. We're seeking to share real information with each other. And we seem to be really longing for it. And the fact that we'll do so publicly and raise our voices in that way, it it sort of shows you that this is a chaotic time. People are speaking up. People don't always speak up in mm. this way. It's interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people. All right, we're back. Um, So I I said a lot of I was saying a lot of people misinterpret. What was it that I was saying? Exactly, Wes. I'm sorry. I I was looking into the future just a little bit. And so I lost my time. When I
1: when I got when I dropped from from whatever you're saying, it was about this. This being a chaotic time, this the oh yes the, yes, the yes so, people are, so, are reaching out in this new way right so people are speaking
0: yeah. up and i think people i think our initial instinct is to misjudge the situation and, and think that this is an egocentric time when people want to speak up when they have less to say and i would say no the fact that people are willing to speak up and say things on say twitter or on youtube and to risk having you know thousands of trolls come after them <laughs> is indication of the fact that people feel like they have something to say regardless of you know how skillful they say it people are yeah, well, so popping their heads up
1: yeah exactly that's kind of the i guess it's a pro and a con in different respects where there isn't really a gatekeeper so much and in, 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 in there's not really like a a rule or, or set of rules for the discourse, right? You don't have to speak in a polite fashion. You don't have to, you know, issue swearing. You don't have to uh, cite your sources. And so it's mm. sort of like a crowd of people that's just like able. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's like the School of Athens that you that you chose for the the YouTube, right? Um, yeah. Background. It, it's just a really, really, yeah. It's it's a it's a vast marketplace where. You know certain voices become uh listened to and and sort of create a space around them with within which there's a kind of um you know inside jokes like i was trying to imagine like what is it like for for somebody to just like hear us talking about lobsters all of a sudden <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what, the, what the heck are they talking about right but there's it's it within this kind of little little bubble that's that's created and and then right. people sort of self select it to an extent and so there's a danger to that, but also, you know, and then it also makes it a little bit faster to get to get a point across as well. So there's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, just interesting all around. I don't, I don't know quite what to make of it. But, but I'm still, I think I, I like to, you know, pick up on, the, the, what, what is it about that kind of world that makes, makes for more of a, a male presence? Like, what, what is it? Is it the competition? Like. I'm not sure how to take that. Um, Well, the YouTube world? Yeah. Well, the congregating in
0: that sort of way strikes me as a sort of masculine endeavor based on sort of, you know, the sort of masculine endeavors that we've often seen in the past. So just from an anthropological um, angle, you know, like groups of hunting men and how, say, I play Ultimate (laughs) Frisbee, and it's basically running through the field in order to achieve a goal. Uh, You know, we're basically like wolves in the pack, and we have a lot of nonverbal communication we're getting out a lot of aggression, and it's a very animal sort of thing, well coordinated. But you know, people can't even tell you the rules; they just play by them, and so it tells you something about what we're we're doing. And so, men like to congregate in that sort of way. And they and uh, YouTube strikes me, especially with people speaking up, as like sort of a men's club. And I don't mean that in any way in a bad way. I mean like a gentleman's club where men go to get all their thoughts out so they don't drive everybody around them crazy. (laughs) Uh, And so that, you know, I would say that that's half the reason I both teach and do this because I just have such a creative flow of thoughts so often that, you know, kind of steady stream of new minds to deal with each, each hour because nobody can keep up for as long as I can go. Uh, so far as I
1: found it. No, it's, uh, I think it's you're you're clearly at the at the extreme of that kind of, of creative output and and I guess well it seems like there's yeah there's there's now sort of an audience for that which wasn't you know, maybe as, as as accessible before
0: and you know it's but, funny because Peterson and Jung talk about the self they talk about uh-huh. you know the conscious you you know that makes the choices and likes ice cream and likes to go uh you know to get chocolate every now and then or whatever well but there's also sort of an unconscious self from the being below from the lower parts of the brain that actually have a lot more control over you than you do right because they run all your unconscious processes like you know pumping your your heart for example you don't you don't run that at all or your lungs or your liver or all the important parts right and so that aspect of you the union suggests has a sort of personality that's far more powerful than your personality but is not as articulated as yours is and you were talking about bubbles and so it expresses itself to you through emotions and pains in the body and through imaginary images and through dreams and people can say oh i think that's ridiculous and i can say oh yeah well look at all the stories you spend your whole life looking at that make no sense yet you think they make perfect sense. Why? Because you spend your whole time trying to interpret what your body and what your being is telling to you. You're like, why do I have this headache? Who are you asking? Obviously yourself. You know, (laughs) things like that. Um, And so it happens all the time. People get caught up on the language because, I don't know, people haven't considered these ideas in a deep enough way. And people that are supposed to be teaching them are not, so we have to to do that. And so um, the idea is... That these parts of the brain attempt to guide us through these images. And they've sent up these collective images so much that we've codified them into stories and often hero stories. And uh, the claim by Jung and Peterson is that the Christian story of Christ is the ultimate agglomeration, not only of the images that created hero, but of the stories of heroes that are the collected images of all their people. And it is therefore the ultimate hero image and thus the ultimate path of life that is generated by the deepest parts of our brains
1: and thus the most immortal parts of our being. Right. And I, I guess, is it correct that you, I've heard that characterized that he's, he's in a way responding to the same kind of crisis that uh, Nietzsche in his time uh, was, was uh, diagnosing, you know, this kind of crisis of faith. And I guess I'm curious about, you know, well, America is 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 a relatively, uh, you know, religious country. It's like one of the more uh, religious, um, you know, countries I, you know, countries in the developed world. So, so I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, like what? Uh, I don't know quite how to ask the question, but like, if if there is such a, an articulated form of this story, then this new kind of chaos or, or breakdown is, is something a little different. Right. And I guess, I I don't know. What, what do you think about how? It does seem that we're in the desert
0: of the real, Uh, that we, we have. So Nietzsche diagnosed a collapse of the moral structure that held up our social world through us killing God, which means that our scientific knowledge made it impossible for us to maintain a pure, literal Christian faith anymore. And in thus undermining the Christian faith, it undermined all our ways of life because our ways of life were predicated on a Christian morality. He said it would just take people time because, of course, he was a genius and he could see that this was already true. And that means he, he moved much faster towards that information than other people could. And so it generated down to the mass much, much, much longer because, well, honestly, it has to get articulated in the form that they can digest, which is generally in an imagistic fashion. Um, All you have to do is consider the developmental process of a child in that respect. So how do you first teach children through teaching them Shakespeare? Absolutely not. You give them picture books. And so the less educated your people are, and you should understand that everybody was much less educated in general in the past at any given time in the past, as opposed to now, um, regardless of what the upper crust was learning. And also, how are you best going to convey deep abstract ideas to them? Well, you have to get the artist to somehow translate those into imagistic form in a way that moves people in an emotive and mo- motivating fashion in a way that somehow gets them to embody the message. And uh, <clears throat> well, we're, we're still at the stage, I would say, where we're still trying to get the new message. Um, and so that also I think comes to us through art and that's the problem with some of the Hollywood movies we've had lately that I feel like, and this might might just be me, but maybe I feel in the same way that everybody feels and that I'm a human and, uh, the, so many movies have been so hollow to me. It's particularly the, the most recent star Wars and, um, the most recent Thor. It's like, Hmm. we're dealing with clearly mythological images, people who can, you know, use magical powers like gods and people who actually are gods in the case of Thor. And mm-hmm. and yet as powerful as they are in their universes, they have no power to affect my soul. Mm-hmm. And I think we are, we're reaching for something that we need to see artistically that our abstract minded individuals then need to uh, articulate into words and then express down to individuals who can understand that who can then perhaps also then translate it into a more artistic form again to be interpreted by those that have, you know, less, less time for words.
1: Well, yeah. So I guess that's maybe that's part of what's interesting about the Christian story, right? It's a story of, of a God who's also mortal, you know, who dies and is reborn. So there's this kind of continual revival that's like enacted in the story and that, Right I is always supposed to, you know, be happening in the individual, but also on the social level. And so, yeah. So I guess it's it's sort of interesting. Then that, you know, on the on the one hand, we have this concept of um of a of a divine human right combination sort sort of thing, or or you know, however you want to try to yes. put that paradox into words. But then on the other hand, you know, like like you're saying, we have way way more um <laughs> just like stories that come out of out of hollywood or or you know wherever and and they're somehow a ringing hollow yeah like they're they're just the the spirit is not there somehow and and so i guess is is the is the thing then a matter of of like trying to is it a matter of trying to articulate something is it a matter of trying to create something or is it like there's something that's just like not being said, which needs to be.
0: I, I have a theory. Said, yeah. I have a theory. So, give me a moment to spin it out and tell me what you think of it. <laughs> you know, it's just a likely account, and we know from Plato talking about the Timaeus that sometimes that the beginning of science is giving a likely account, and people say that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But at least we've begun the conversation, and perhaps you even get something right. And so you got to start somewhere. And so whenever,
1: whenever someone starts a speech like that in Plato, when it's Socrates, right, you got to put be on your guard when he's like, well, this is just a, a thought that I'm just having at this moment. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but yeah, but go ahead. But go ahead. Yeah, let's yeah I'm, I'm even forgetting my thought right now, just forgiving all that, uh, that, uh, that Pracy, that's my pride getting at me, I suppose, always causes me some Humility. What was I responding to just one more time so I can actually I give you my
1: thought? I was I was trying to ask, okay, so there's like three, kind of like three options maybe what we're looking at is like, is it a matter of articulating something that we kind of have a vague notion of? Is it a matter of creating an image to kind of get oh, that yes, vague yes. notion? Or okay, is it I the thing it, I that got got we're it, not it. saying? And, and so maybe oh, that's... So it. I think we're,
0: I think we as a nation are predicated on an exploratory notion because the people – and this is a very general, so it's a likely account. So just go with it for now, and we can pick it apart later. So uh, the people who first came over here, adventurous. Of course they had to be. They were highly exploratory, highly open because they went across the sea to go to a place they barely knew. The people who then got here, relatively pugnacious, cared about their rights, pretty intelligent, pretty open, smart enough to make their their sort of own rules, broke apart from Britain, somehow creatively won because it had to be creative because they weren't stronger than the British – Um, And then sort of kept expanding and exploring out towards Westward expansion, liked the idea of expanding and exploring so much that they they called what they did manifest destiny, Um, which, you know, suggested like they, they like felt like it was the will of God pushing them out. And we I think we say that that's propaganda, but it's also like, well, why would that work that though? The idea of destiny and moving out and being moved by a spirit of exploration. And then, you know, now we, you know, we have the whole U S and we have even more and we have a bunch of ships uh, from the Navy all over the planet and control the waters. And we, you know, we go around everywhere exploring everything in the ocean and we've sent people out into space even. And I think, and just, here's a, here's sort of a gap to bridge in this. I think if you look at the anxiety and the depression that people are feeling that that's because the next exploration and I don't mean this in any sort of hippie way is one within as in mm-hmm. what is a human precisely and I don't mean that in an abstract way at all because people are feeling depression and anxiety because they're forgetting what the plan is I think they mm-hmm. think they have no plan they have no destiny they have no meaning in their lives and that makes them question everything the rules and why do this and why do that and it it makes them feel valueless and then you need some sort of drug to pick you up because, well, if you feel valueless, what are you pursuing? And what do you Hmm. think, what gets you up in the morning then? Right. Because life is very hard and it makes me think of Odysseus on Calypso's Island. It's like Hmm. life can be like that where everything around you could be paradisical but without goal and without momentum forward it can just be he- like a hellish desert like where the jews were after they left egypt in a place right. without structure without values without goals like even the hellish prison they left behind because of its regularity and order seems preferential and idle and and you know scared moments
1: yeah, right. And so they they long for, well, I mean, it's like the grass is always greener, too, right? It's like so. I feel like, never, which is like your 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 premise seems to be right. Like we always are seeking to explore something. And, yes. Okay. Well, it looks you look around and you're like, well, shoot, there's not really you know much to do here. I guess I'll just watch the clock, you know, and you know. Yeah. Whatever. So uh, yeah. So then. Yeah. So then the matter of 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 forging values, right? Cause you, I guess it's sort of like, if you want to, you can, you can turn to traditional values, but most people yes. want to do that. That's, you know, sort of passe. So, so then the next thing is to, you know, somehow like, and why, so- why is that passe? Exactly. <laughs> I, I
0: just kind of like to consider that because
1: I, I grew up in a,
0: I would say a time and certainly a household where for sure. The traditional values were considered passe, And, like, to talk about, but, like, I remember when I started applying certain values to my life, like, trying to be kind to people and to repay my debts to people and to try and get, like, stronger than I was and to try and be more dutiful than I was, that people started responding to me in more positive ways than when I was more selfish and greedy and portly and, you know, (laughs) lascivious and, and, yeah, like, the more vicious I was the more negative feedback I received from yeah. people around me, And regardless of what arguments we have about what's good and bad, it seems very clear that making the situation around you as good as possible is a major positive.
1: Oh yeah. I, I guess it's a matter. I think it's a, it's kind of a political thing in, in a big way, right? Like if you sort of like use the language of traditional stories and, Roles uh, and values. Then you, get, then you get identified
0: with the negative You're father in. image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the negative right. father image is the cruel tyrant, the old tyrant who represents mm-hmm. outmoded values that he tries to impose on his people in order to suck the souls of the future out, in order to maintain a de- an ever decaying presence, present. It's the image of a vampire. Is yeah. what it
1: is. The, right. the
0: creature that should be dead living off the flesh of those who are actually alive. And um, the vampire
1: is so seductive too, right? To, to women. And it's like, in a, in a sense, he's like horrifying, but in another way he's like, you know, very, right. And that,
0: that seems to be the image that's being projected onto men at this time, because it's like, why do we have this attraction to the, you were disgusted by you at the same time um, mm-hmm. for uh, everything you are. And it's like, well, well, well or for that which was formerly considered your virtue like being dutiful or strong or intelligent or kind or you know genuine and um <clears throat> because you have to be able to be honest and use the right words to be genuine otherwise you can't be honest with each other
1: right and So well, then
0: it's just a mask it's just another
1: <laughs> you know, that's uh, right it's, and, it's,
0: just, it's just another mask and that's you know Something that when I teach the Odyssey, for one, marriage comes up constantly, and oh, yeah. in talking about marriage, constantly it's mentioned, not only on Scoria but also on Ithaca, that the best thing you can have is a good marriage and some good kids with the marriage. And this is the Odyssey saying this. And why? <laughs> and Odysseus actually explains it in a funny way because that's a boon to all your friends because it's something great for them, and it and it's sour for all your enemies <laughs> because it makes them hate you all the more because you're, you're so obviously good yeah. if that's what's happening. And yeah. it's like the, <laughs> the odyssey, like, like the old Testament in the Bible is the congealed wisdom of the past. Odysseus is the, and I'll make this argument during my lecture course in something like 25 to 30 hours. <laughs> right. worth of thinking. Um, there
1: yeah.
0: and, uh, <laughs> and, um, Basically, Odysseus is the congealed image of the successful personality, that which adapts in the necessary way, follows the signs, argues when necessary, and he embodies active intelligence, self-restraint, and perseverance. And, uh, I would say that's the holy trinity of success because because he's intelligent, he can restrain his desires because he understands why to restrain his desires because he can look into the future in order to visualize a greater possible outcome than his companions. His companions who die, say, on the cattle, the island of the Cattle of the Sun, are persuaded by their bellies. They can't yeah. see a better possible outcome than not being hungry anymore. Odysseus not only survives that, but then 10 more days on the water. And then seeing skill and Charybdis again. He's so much further than they are because his goal is so much further ahead of them. And, That's such and, a powerful... Because with having further goals, you develop self-restraint. And perseverance, because you have a reason to develop those in the pursuit of the the further and therefore called higher goals, the the incentive, the incentive uh, reward system sort of goals that grew out of the consumatory reward. And in fact, that's why at the earliest circles of hell, there's lust and gluttony. Because those are just pure
1: consumatory systems. Uh, when you when you mentioned being far ahead, it made me think again, well, so I mean, but but Penelope, she she gets one over on him when he finally gets oh, home. right? Yeah. she she, oh, yeah. she gets, and that's and that's so great because in some way, as you point out, it's not like it's not just the father. Figure. You don't have a father without a mother. It's a marriage, and that's I think a big part of, well, the, I guess I would say like the thing that's not mentioned, right? Like that's right. that's there. It's like it's simply it's too much too much complexity for for the kind of um you know, the kind of discourse that that we have tended well, to right, because I, I think the point you're implicitly making
0: is that that's a biological union that we can't explain the mechanics of in a one hundred percent accurate way because we've been trying to understand when say consciousness begins and how that's transmitted and how life is transmitted forever. ever. I mean, we do have some good research on this sort of thing, but we I mean, it's not as if we can just produce a living organism out of poof, something uh you know from a machine. Uh, we're not. We're not even close to that. So to think that we could understand the psychological aspect of that and then just dismiss it as if, as if we even, <laughs> as if we have even had the most superficial understanding of that relationship. It's like the the holiest union in the church is considered that between, uh, Christ, the Son, and the Church itself, the wedding. And if he represents the truth and she represents mother nature, then it's the connection of the truth of your being with mother nature, that your actual destiny that is set by God is also in accordance with nature, which is a, I think the opposite of how a lot of people have interpreted uh, that sort of dogma. And that's, that's fine, but they don't have to because I I think that's really very much present in the imagery there. Um, You know, I was talking with you, I think earlier about the images of the Pietà, the yeah, statue. Going
1: to bring that up, yeah, because that's the other end of it, sort of, right? It... Yeah, yeah, go on, please. So, yeah, so I'm thinking of like uh, the the um, Michelangelo image. Um, you have this like sort of statuesque, you know. Of course, it's a statue, but she's massive, yeah. right? Mary is huge; she's enormous. She's the whole world, and across her lap is the is the dead uh, the dead Jesus and her, her look her gaze is is just like infinitely wise and sort of like forgiving and and sad but also um she she has accepted this as kind of uh the the purpose right it, it's not it's not suffering without meaning it has it has the deepest purpose it's like, yes yes
0: i think uh i think yeah my interpretation of that which i think accords well with what you're saying is that uh, is that a selfish interpretation of that image would be: How could you bring man knowingly into existence, who's conscious of his finitude, just to allow him to die? And I would say that that's actually sort of what Thetis, the mother of Achilles, has to confront in the Iliad, um, because she she's always so sad about the fact that her mortal son is going to die, and so she tries to give him everything. But that's not Mary, no. She doesn't exist, or the son doesn't exist just to receive gifts from her. I would say this also indicates a differing developmental stage of young boys and men going from just getting things to moving towards things or learning to enjoy the pleasure of pursuing that which they want rather than simply receiving. The, The idea is that merit that Jesus or the son or any man is the gift of mother nature to the world through his charitable acts, through what he offers. He in offering all of himself as sacrifice in life um, and offering it towards the good. He is therefore a gift from mother nature to God and who is God society, the father. And thus he is pleasing to God and who is God, The, the side of right Zeus, uh, the judgmental father, uh, Dumbledore, um, <laughs> Gandalf,
1: right, 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 right,
0: right. The one who approves of your noble action and sacrifice. Yeah, and um, and so he has consciously embodied what nature chose for him, and so I think that's. What we have to do with our minds, we have to realize that we have a being and we have a human nature and we have all these stories that indicate they move us toward a central narrative and we have to embody that all together and we can embody that all together. And insofar as we do embody a central narrative together, and I don't mean in a propagandistic way, nor do I mean in a uniform way without our individual idiosyncrasies. Obviously, everybody plays a different part. That's what makes for the interesting play for an interesting game. Everybody has their own role to play, but they need to be on the same stage. You might say, or they need to be being composed by the same composer. They need, we need to be on the same sheet of music. We need, we need some sort of solidarity. We need an overarching thought that joins us all together in a powerfully unified, trusting way in a legitimate way too, though, not, not a forceful totalitarian, uh, scripted by man way i that's why i say it has yeah. to be artistic first something needs to just come be ripped from our imagination something that joins us together in some way and
1: and then well, I think, yeah
0: go on uh,
1: i i i guess i want to say if it is a matter of sort of trusting the uh, the, the the cosmos right that there is a good order of, in, behind things then
0: that's I, what cosmos means
1: by the way exactly right the beautiful order maybe it's a matter of uh, yeah of of sort of like resting upon that and making that the the foundation of your your action in the world because if if that is what you really think right then then even the people who don't believe that um, are are without knowing it you know acting within it
0: yes
1: it, that's you know and that's uh, I mean, I think that's what's so infuriating a lot of times about about people who have like a, a strong religious faith is like they they're able to sort of see the world in this way that that to to all appearances the world is going going to hell, but <laughs> for them, for for someone who has has really got that faith and not as not just like faking it or just like intellectually you know imagining it right, um, but who actually feels that there is you know. A purpose and Alyosha to not nivon What's that? An Alyosha not nivon And the brother Karamazov. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, and in, in that case, um, I don't know that you have to have I don't know that you have to have everyone playing the same game, right? Because because one game is actually the better or, or like realer or something and will out. Um and it seems like you know, if that's if that is the case, then, you know, in, in the scheme of things, uh, each each kind of uh, attempt to say, you know, God is dead is inevitably going to be met with a, a rejoinder by a person of the stature of Jung or, you know, who's who's or, you know, able to to give a light a, a light
0: bringer. Someone, you know, I was listening to a, a lecture about Jung by Peterson today and his 2014 personality course on YouTube, and you know, that's the first image of the Lion King of a Donny of the Sun and he uses the Lion King to explore, to explain Jungian archetypal thought, which the Lion King is based on some unconscious, but some consciously placed in there, which makes it in the opinion of Peterson a little bit lesser because it's not as unique in artistic production because he suggests that, like I'm suggesting, that art comes from nature and mm-hmm. that is pleasing to God and that in the Dante sort of formulation of God being the father of nature, which is the father of art. And that it is our human nature to produce art um, from our own imaginations and for its own purpose, not, not simply, not simply to please, you know, how it is not necessarily for us to criticize the art that we produce as artists, Um, because how do we know that our small consciousness will understand the full product better than whatever is working through us? And I think that's often proved to be the case by the fact that, you know, critics often like books that are not beloved by the same author, like say Anthony Burgess was not a big fan of a clockwork orange, but you know, it could possibly be the case that he didn't even recognize his own genius because he didn't understand it. And that's something Nietzsche actually explicitly claims that the person who criticizes his art is different from the artist himself. And I'd say that's certainly true, because one is an expression of nature through man, and one is just the conscious expression of a limited man. The Rationalizing after the fact. Right. Uh, facto explanations of whatever quality, depending on their intellect. And, uh, you know, if they're a highly creative individual, they may be, well be very and highly intelligent. But that doesn't necessarily translate its well its way into verbal fluency, though it may, though it may, and that does, yeah. and you know, that doesn't mean that they'll also have the level of analysis that we expect as a culture from, say, like the people who are professional critics of whatever sort of art it happens to be. Those people seem to be able to articulate thoughts extremely well, uh, whereas an artist might not, because that's not their forte, that's not their skill. Um,
1: right. So part of it seems to be a matter of like, yeah, like find your strengths, like have confidence in that, you know, pursue that and, and trust in it. But part of it is a matter too of, um, well, it seems like there's certain things that just like there, there, there's, there's blows that that hit people that are just like, so like you were talking about earlier, right. This, this, am- this amount of depression and, and suffering, um, and, 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 psychological issues. Right? Yeah.
0: And I, I think it comes from, I mean, so
1: I'm not suggesting that we
0: can't all have different games that we're playing. And obviously we all have different ones. And, and when I say game, I don't mean like, like sort of manipulative small game or something like right. that. I mean, I mean, uh, bounded structures in which we live in which we cooperate and compete. So like our careers, our families, because of course, siblings and things like that. And e- even, even, I'm, I'm told sometimes with spouses uh, for the good and the ill, um, but any sort of structure you enter into that has a bounded set of rules that allow you to be creative in some way. So whether you're a tennis player, whether you're an artist, whether you go to cooking classes, all the things you do are little games. And mm-hmm. so, um, but in order to be a nation, which is of course a giant abstraction based, which is a bigger version of state, which is a bigger first version of County, which is a bigger version of city. Um, which is a bigger version of family or group of families like tribe clan down the family. It's, there needs to be something that joins it together. And with us, it's, it's not language, race, religion, or where or ethnicity. It, and so it has to be something, cere- it has to be something more abstract, a thought, a conceptualization, a plan. If we're a ship, if this is the ship of the state, we have to be going somewhere while the chaos beneath us rages. We have to, and if we know where we're going, then we can row together and we can maybe even get there. And that might be a good place to be. And I've been suggesting that that might be a sort of internal place if we come to understand ourselves, not only scientifically, but psychologically and embrace our literature and our texts and our religious texts, all the texts from our ancient traditions. We haven't been around we haven't had consciousness for that long. We've only had we only have written records of things for like up to th- a little over three thousand years, with like the Epic of Gilgamesh and things like that. We've barely been writing at all for uh, you know the three and a half billion years. We know Earth to at least to have existed at least that long, and then you know we even have a common ancestor with lobster three hundred fifty million years ago, and then supposedly we came from uh we uh we moved away from the chimpanzees something like 15 million years ago or something like that Uh, maybe. And then from our most recent, yeah. And I don't know. So (laughs) the point being, actually, I'm forgetting my point again. I'm so sorry. Talking about, (laughs) talking about just how, how far we've come. So, Oh, excuse me. Uh, I I'm picking it back up. So the fact of the matter is that when we're thinking in terms of these evolutionary spans of time, they're just so vast, and expansive that when you think about how long history has been preserved it's almost no time at all and you can understand why we talk about positive feedback loops and their um their exponential growth factor based on initial incremental growth because civilization has progressed so much not only in the last three thousand years but in the last 100 years so much so that we think we can leave traditional values behind not because we're not tethered to them but because we're expanding so fast like the universe we've projected that idea out onto and so yeah. It's not that we're not moving faster than ever, but it is that we are still connected to everything we have always been connected to. And so we should extend our knowledge not only forward at this moment, I would suggest, but also very much backward and in depth because we have an opportunity with our increased health and access to knowledge to truly understand who we are and what we are as uh, people but also as beings and so, so like yeah,
1: yeah but, but, does like, but does that I guess I'm still curious about what happened what do you say to someone who has who has a like legitimate um, grief with like the nature of reality like they have depression they have uh, you know whatever like serious suffering like something awful has just happened to them is it a matter of something that you can, can conceptualize, you know, to to reach, to reach that person's, uh, uh, you know, pain and and somehow like diminish well, I think, it?
0: I think they need, they need something that reconnects them to what the world is, at that moment, because an event has punctured a hole in their worldview, and that 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 hole, like a wound in their leg calls to their attention like pain like physical pain does so their attention is constantly diverted to that which is why they're often listless and without energy because they are giving their the union's would say all their energy is drawn into the unconscious which is what peterson calls like Jung, the dark night of the soul and so drawn down into the underworld the negredo as the alchemist call it and so what why because you like a spider need to reconstruct your your little web which is the reality in which you inhabit uh actual reality and actual reality and your picture of reality just bumped heads and well reality shattered your image because it wins because it wins and uh it doesn't care what you think and that's why there are things like cancer and they're always shocking to us
1: but um it seems to me that's it seems to me that that is sort of what's going on with you know, the nation or the West or whatever, whatever you want to say, it's like, it's basically like sick. It's like a sickness. That's right. That's It's, some, it's like, psychi- like psyching it out. Like it's, it's fixated on this thing, which it can't quite name it. You know, if it, it comes up with lots of sort of pseudo, um, you know, conceptualizations of it or, or diagnoses of it or something. But so, yeah, then, then if it, what, what is it that you can, you can do at that point? You You sort of we you you want to reconnect uh, it to the world, okay. But... So how we do that, I think, is through a story. We, you find out a
0: story. Often it's either produced out of art or the mythological imagination, or we find it embedded in the past, and we just haven't noticed it in a long time. That's the idea of going to the Cave of Wonders and getting some ancient treasure. Of course, the yeah. ring's treasure is you know, the treasure of awareness, which the lamp uh, ultimately yeah. involves because that's why it frees the genie at the end. That's the freeing of the mind. And uh, ah. and so that's that's worth more than any physical wealth, which is why Apu, the symbol of Aladdin's desire, his animalistic desire, inappropriately <laughs> goes for the wrong thing. And so um, we need a story that, yeah. that bridges the gap between where we are in the desert and a structured cosmos. One that's like a story of a people coming home, like a coming back to Jerusalem, or a of the of the Trojans under Aeneas's command, defeating the men of Latium and the Rutulians.
1: Um, oh, so this is hitting me right now that what you're saying—it seems like like you're saying like we need a national epic in a way, right? And this is something, you know, the the great American novel or something. Uh, it's like, you know, as as Virgil did for for Rome. Yeah, you know, that, that is for Kings, It's like okay, so <laughs> it's like just a, a a tall order, but uh. But yeah, so like, what are the contenders for that? I guess it seems like Hamilton was like a huge smash hit like a year ago. I don't know if anyone still talks about that. Like, what is well, the... that is
0: interesting though that the very content of it was Alexander Hamilton, such a major historical yeah. figure, um, that uh, that still these revolutionary time and post-revolutionary time figures, these found these founding fathers who who created our major institutions, are right. are are just still epitomized uh, symbolic heroes of our people and so even at a time when we claim to have no values and we sort of even irreverently portray them who is it that we're portraying
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's like the most interesting stories that we can find right like yeah whether it's portraying the founding fathers with a an all-black cast or uh, I don't know, like Moana, right? He the same the same guy who who wrote the libretto or whatever for uh, Hamilton. He then wrote like all the songs for Moana, which is like, you know, really really popular, I guess. Um, yeah. But it seems like the thing is that now it's like you have to write that national epic like every few days. It seems like to get people's attention because it's like that thing that's sick is like so much getting our attention, right? We just like are constantly drawn back to it. So yeah. So. Right, right.
0: And I, 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 was, I, was texting you earlier that I took the Big Five Factor Analysis test, and it came out that I was highly creative and highly orderly, and that sort of made sense given my profession as a literature teacher and a, a literature podcaster with you, who converses with you on, you know, often very creative ideas, and um, but also highly orderly. And so I thought about that, and you know, that was you asked that question early on in the podcast history about where I thought I, I fit in the sort of pantheon of things. Was I more creative? Was I more analytical? I thought about that. And I, I thought about that today, just a little bit, it just sort of came to me in my stream. And I was like, well, I think what it is is I am creative and that. And, and the big five suggests I'm pretty creative um, on there, but I'm also highly orderly, which suggests that I can be logical as well. And I can sort of even pick out and order my own ideas and that, as a teacher, that is actually often what I, I am forced to do because I can't just generate ideas. I have to I have to present them in a digestible fashion, and an articulated fashion, because not only do does it need to make sense what I'm saying if I want to reach the kids, I want to teach them how to make sense, too. So I'm also teaching them how to articulate themselves. Um, yeah. And, and I even teach them that that's the measure of brilliance. It's not how brilliant your thoughts are. If you can't bridge the gap then nobody will see the light within them. So you have to learn how to express yourself in the most articulated possible fashion so that people can actually see you for what you actually are. And that that's your duty to bridge that gap, not theirs. It's your duty to be clear and to express yourself in a meaningful and significant way and significant indicating that you leave a sign on somebody because you are remarkable. Uh, And well, that's what I'm trying to teach them. And I think that's what all these stories teach, especially with the figure of Odysseus, that to be remarkable. And even Dante said that today. I was, I was reading Canto 18 of the Paradiso and I swear I didn't plan to say this, Wes, but <laughs> something he says that just st- struck me so much in the sphere of Mars. And I'm looking at it is, uh, lines 31 to 33. And we read this in seminar and I, uh, it's spirits are blessed who below before they came to heaven were of immense fame so that they would be spoiled for any muse, suggesting that the the spirits in the heaven of Mars and perhaps even larger are those who left the most significant impact on earth, who were spoken of on earth, who were legends on earth. People spoke of them because of their incredible deeds that the people that get put in heaven are the people we remember uh, because they are so unique and individual. And that is what someone has the right to do in this country. It's protected by sort of divine law as far as we're concerned. And it is divine in that we think it is unimpeachable. That means divine. Um, Right. I mean, that means if everybody agrees on it, uh, on the courthouse of Milwaukee, where where I went to school at Marquette, it says Vox Populi, Vox Dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God. And in a democracy, that's certainly true.
1: And in the theater, that's true, right? It's like the thing that people will go and pay for is the thing that's great. You know, it's like the thing that keeps going, that keeps running, and, and it's the voice of the people. This, is uh, it's an old movie that that taught me that recently. Um, it's called *Children of Paradise*, an old French movie. Uh, that I was watching. Yeah. So anyway, but um, but if 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 it's a matter then of like, you know, being able to to read and articulate in your own life certain things that you glean from from great literature and epics of the past um then maybe yeah maybe it's not maybe it's not simply like you know writing a new national epic every few days or weeks or whatever but it's it's more a matter of 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 what you're describing right this depth of of the um,
0: deeper you drop the pebble i finally realized what this means the farther out it will ripple right Sure. And yeah. There's even an exponential equation for that. that um, Dante makes this expression earlier on, and I apologize for not knowing exactly where, but that the process of learning is akin to moving your former meridian middle to where your current edge is,
1: which uh-huh, is also yeah. the
0: Jungian expression of um, changing the relationship of simply believing your conscious mind is all you are to understanding that you actually exist in the interplay between your conscious mind and the self, which is the expression of the beam from the lower brain and that be- beneath your prefrontal cortex. So, yeah. so the idea is,
1: <clears throat> Oh, wow. Sorry. I guess it's like a kind of moving, it's a moving target, right? It's like, that's, that's you exactly- move to the point of, of this like liminality. And then you like, Understand it, and then you get to move a bit further next time, you know, sort of thing. Uh, that, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, to me. yeah, and that's
0: certainly the idea of the active intellect inscribing itself upon the passive intellect in uh, Aristotle as well. I would say, or the receptive intellect, and also the idea in modern psychology of the fluid intelligence, uh, which creates the crystal intelligence. And so, as you get older, you have more and more crystallized intelligence because that's what the fluid intelligence has produced
1: um yeah well it seems like all of it seems like you know these, these scientific accounts well they they really are sort of just like more maybe evidence-based um stories. yes <laughs> so,
0: well i mean even story. start with the idea of a hypothesis which of course comes yeah. from ancient Greek. the fact that we even still keep vestiges of their language and it means something like high culture to us to know anything about ancient greek society and then we realize we're coming to realize through at least one of, I, I think I'm seeing in the Odyssey and the Iliad that it's not just some high culture sort of thing. It's, you know, a, a reinvigorating of culture or a constant stream running through our culture sort of mm. thing. There are things about Odysseus now that I can compare to Dante that I believe Dante saw, which makes him sort of very similar to a, a very pre-Christian or even Christian Christian. Figure in terms of his ability to be the hero who is always successful in the most difficult possible circumstances. In fact, uh, an interesting uh, way to look at the decisions Odysseus makes when he uh, throughout his journey is: is he choosing the Scylla or the Charybdis in this situation? Scylla kills six of his men. Charybdis would have killed all of his men if he went by it. And so the idea is that in life you'll have choices between bad and worse nothing neither choice is objectively good but that's not being disputed what's objectively good what's being disputed is what's the most responsible decision to make where no, neither decision is something you would wish for
1: and so yeah well you hear people criticize him as a leader because he loses so many men right but it seems like what you're saying is you know he's he's the the, the best option there is like you know that's right that's right, that's and so we have,
0: to, we have to base our judgments in a relative way based yeah. on what we've got right now. Moses is perfect for his people because he is the leader of the people at that moment who is, has the most wisdom. They can compare him to an ideal as much as they want that um, doesn't exist. Well, I hmm, that's actually interesting. I, I think yeah. it's inappropriate to some extent to compare somebody – to an ideal without recognizing their relative position, but they certainly didn't do that. They now understand as sort of the prophet and leader, but you do need to be able to compare your leaders to some measure of an ideal, I think. Otherwise, they can devolve to inappropriate levels um, um, by uh, some good standard of judgment, which we could certainly agree on, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, it's like, it seems like there's there's a problem where, you know, the leader must have a certain amount of vision of some kind of ideal, but on the other hand, it has to be, you know, based on some kind of evidence. <laughs> it's actually practical. Right, right. You need Zazu from the Lion King. You need Horus. You need the
0: eye on the back of the dollar bill. You need the Odysseus moving around and getting, getting the vibe and understanding what the situation needs. And <clears throat> what's actually clear to me that that's ever going to come simply from the political level I think it's always going to come from the artistic level because the most creative, open people are going to be the artists, the people producing things, and so they're going to produce they're going to produce some sort of alchemy that is a combination of uh, what their being, what their nature sends through them through their imaginations and emotions, and how they embody it through dance and uh, literature and painting and and movies even at this point and music too especially, um, and then we're we're going to have to sort of interpreted. it it's you know it's interesting so like even if i were to i i you know i i like all sorts of music and i've also always i only just recently found out from peterson that creative people like weird music and so that explains so much uh from my life um but one sort of music that's like the dubstep that's come out and the techno it's based on it's interesting if you think about that symbolically because it and even the notion of Silicon Valley is that we seem to be attempting to go beyond our nature, beyond our, our our human limit, and that we wish to create sort of a Silicon new nature, which is sort of pure mind without the sort of barbaric, instinctual creature beneath it. Um, but I think the problem with that and what we forget, and because I think a lot of young humans – believe themselves minds that sort of have this inconvenient body that they don't really believe in so much rather than vice versa, which has actually clearly been shown by Piaget's work on how your mind develops and you know why it can just disappear when you just kind of hit your head a little bit. Um, Well, the problem is, is that if we, if we were to give up our bodies in that way, well, our mind is developed in order to adapt us to this world. And so our body is an extension of the tool which adapts itself in this world. And so we would have no purpose as a purely silicon being. Uh, We we would have no real environment to adapt. That would be us freed from the environment, but the reason we have an environment is in order to have a structured rule-based place in order to compete and cooperate. It's the ultimate game room you might say we don't need a game room without that that constraint because
1: that's a dead inert world see that's the thing it's like when you mentioned the the pebble to go back to that image yes so yes I Thank
0: of, you. Talking,
1: about, talking about dante what i thought of was, was lucifer he's yes. thrusted, you know, yes. because he he sought to you know impose he sought to impose his own vision which was not in line with like Reality, right? And right. So he's cast down, and he's, well, he's nice. cast down deep yeah. as you can go. Right. He's he okay. defines depth. Yeah. And depending way. on wh- depending on which
0: Lucifer you pick, Milton's, I would say there's strong evidence that the reason that he gets so upset is that with the coming of the sun, he realizes he's not God because it's an act that he did not will, and so he resentfully to the side because he's been reminded that he doesn't make everything happen. And I would say that. That's sort of like how the minor trauma of the resentful begins, right? Like Achilles, it's like something goes against his will. He didn't think that was possible because he thought he was a god and now he's resentful and he's not, and so he refuses to fight. Now he even asks the gods to punish the person who took something from him. And so uh, I would say that's exactly what resentment is and that uh, Lucifer, at least Milton's Lucifer, is very much an Achilles figure of pride and resentment um
1: but see now those those ripples are you know they're having an effect but it's not a positive one <laughs> like not on the surface at least but but then in some sense you know it is all you know working towards this this by going down you go up movement yes. right and so yeah that that
0: equation was so funny because it, it came out that it was uh within parentheses 2x outside exponent 2 and so <laughs> the equation comes out to then, uh, you know, like, so if you put, if you plug in 2,000, it's 2,000 times 2, which is 4,000. And then 4,000 times 4,000 equals, well, I think somewhere like 16 million. And, uh, well, the idea is that that's what an exponential function is, that you start with just 2,000. Yeah. Um, Double
1: it and then square it
0: yeah double it and then square it exactly that's the notion of the exponential growth that it's like oh my gosh that's what dante considers learning too and so think about that if you can expand say this 2000 meter gorge into a 400 into like a 4 million uh a 4 million uh a foot gorge and that's what a mind or a being is with that's gathered that much information to it it's like Well, Peterson describes how Nietzsche, since he was so sick, would have to think for weeks and weeks and try and distill down in an alchemical fashion all the information from his mind into one sentence. And in fact, he made a claim that he could say in one sentence what others could say in an entire book, and then Peterson recounting this will laugh and say, and then he added in, actually, he could say more. (laughs) And so the idea behind that is that he had such depth of wisdom that even a sentence could could uh, in in such that he could construct a, even just a sentence in such an articulated format that at it had to be interpreted at that level of analysis because it was so rich with information that it indicated the depth from which it came. And so when you will become a master, for example, which probably means, some oceanic level of wisdom from engulfing all the perspectives around you and thus a a capacity to articulate and represent them in an embodied and verbal linguistic form. Uh, Everything a master says and everything a master can think about, he or she can think about at the depth that he or she has reached and thus extend that depth through the increased information. And so... The master you want to be around or listen to somebody like a Jung or a Peterson and you get addicted to this sort of thinking and speaking because they are actually pushing forward the cutting edge of information gathering of knowledge and the ability to express it because the ability to express and articulate the reality around us is both what creates it and what enables us to maneuver within it effectively. When we make ourselves understood to each other, we make the world around us better understood because our environment is a social environment. So we have to be able to communicate. And so we are hungry to communicate in a genuine fashion so that we can understand what the hell is happening around us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then it's like, that makes, that makes sense. And it's like, uh, it's clear, I guess, why, why students in a classroom then would like prefer to be on YouTube or or whatever thing they're on, on their phones, rather than, you know, be present there. If they don't feel like, you know, you're actually doing something where where something's really at stake. Right. um, It has on the other hand, how how engaged they can be, you know, if the thing you're doing does, you know, have some importance to it. Like, uh, you know, like in the classrooms that you, you and Sarah teach in and you know that I've had some experience into and, I don't know. It's like it makes me think, you know, the system isn't really broken. It's just a matter of like we need to reconceptualize.
0: We need a larger narrative in which to house and embody our our actions to bring meaning to our everyday toils. And it needs to be better than, hey, we can think of a new drug. Okay, we've tried this. It's not a very good narrative. We don't like it very much because there's nothing noble in it. You can just pop in a pill and you're good. That's just what kind of story is that? That's like the, you know, the Quaker oatmeal like instant version of everything. And we've learned the instant version of everything. But what does that suck out? The soul of every endeavor. So, you know, and I can say this from personal experience, drinking Starbucks via uh individual packets of coffee. I'm not saying I don't like them, but I am saying that creating coffee by just microwaving it. Like <laughs> for one, I put water, I put this ground stuff into water that I then microwave. I don't even stove uh, you know, boil the water. And then I have it within a minute. And it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And then I, you know, maybe have some instant oatmeal that takes another minute. So I've prepared a whole meal in two minutes. But uh, you know, have I expressed any skill? Have I articulated anything into being that's interesting in any way? I mean, I've created something which is pretty suboptimal in a very short amount of time, and I have no story to tell based on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's and that's what my life is filled with.
1: That's how. Yeah. Point. No. Well, that's what everyone's, that's the good life, you know, it's like, (laughs) so uh, yeah, yeah, no, but self-evidently it's just not. So
0: yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of Futurama and the sort of aesthetic of that show that it's like, (laughs) everything is, is nice, is awesome and futuristic, but nothing's actually nice. Everything's shabby and lowly and disgusting in some way. All the people are grubby and out of shape and weird and morally ambiguous and all the distinctions have been, have disappeared between uh, earth and the rest of the countries. And it's just, it brought the absolute worst out of everybody. And so yeah. I, I, that's an interesting vision of the future uh, from the artist to put it in that sort of way. That's certainly not the Jetsons where it's like, dang, look, these people are morally upright and doing awesome things together. Like that comes from a unified looking nation. Whereas Futurama is more like, let's be like, and you mentioned this, uh, um, a couple podcasts ago, more like the disunified Trojans. And so I think we're starting to see actually what disunity looks like, like the old Persian or Trojan ideal, where it's it's more people who live for pleasure and their own individualistic sort of smaller stories. But by nature and by definition, I think those stories cannot be as great as large unifying national narratives that are real spirits that sweep people up in them and i think we're waiting for that next eagle or we're trying to bring that next eagle into birth which i think might be why we're in so much pain all the time people Uh, are taking so much pain medication because it's like you know athena's born from zeus's head it's painful to bring forward a new idea and a new level of awareness absolutely and uh I think it's got to be our geniuses who do it because they do exist and they're always present in every single culture. So uh, if it's going to be somebody, it's, they're going to be the fastest ones to it. And they, we, they or we, need to get to work <laughs> um, and get to thinking and figuring some things out about how to educate people and how to articulate. Ourselves better and how to express what's true and how to be genuine and how to understand the value of being genuine and being trustworthy and uh, understanding how to uh, pursue hope in a unified manner with each other. Uh, These are unifying ideas that people naturally love for evolutionarily significant reasons. And these are also happen to be the reasons that have made us the most dominant powerhouse on earth that has ever existed because we trust each other, even though we just lost a point on our credit rating indicating that we trust each other less uh, during a time of, you know, economic, not necessarily despair, but I would say certainly uncertainties with people claiming new bubbles all the time and having recently been burned by our own banks, which, well, why do you give money to a bank? Because you trust them. And uh, you know, that's, that was a pretty fundamental, that was a pretty fundamental betrayal. And well, you should know that Dante in Florence, well, the, the, Florin, well, the Florentines were known for being very wealthy bankers.
1: Right, Medici, so right. he comes out very,
0: very, very hard on them for just how mm-hmm. avaricious and greedy they are. And not only them, but even the clergymen that come from
1: them. Right, so it's like, if, well, so there's, I guess I can see a few different avenues that this is sort of like headed then. It's like, on the one hand, you can gather up sort of like lessons and 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 things from from the stories that are out there whether they be ancient and massive epic stories or whether they be these sort of smaller but like okay, interesting well, anything ones. interesting any any
0: snitch that that sparkles out to you from the pages or from the screen in some way anything that grasps your your mind well and that's what I tried to mention earlier that's the self calling you into being. So what yeah, is the okay. self? That's sort of the instinctual lower version, the lower part of you trying to become the being it is. And your awareness sort of exists in order to try and guide the being through this new articulated form of reality that happens to need you to know how to dress correctly and like speak a language and work a skilled job and things yeah. that the being below can't quite exactly do without your help. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and so and so that that's sort of that the Jungians and Peterson claim that that's where your interest comes from because you don't control what it is you're interested in. You might be able to measure out, you know, how much you get to indulge in it and how well you indulge in it and things like that. And maybe that's the art of life, but um, you don't choose what you're interested in. And you you know if you've ever had a
1: crush, you certainly know that, Wes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, and that's well, that's like that's a critical time in your life too, right? Because you're sort of figuring know who you are and stuff and so yeah it seems like providing basically it seems like you you want to on the one hand provide some kind of guided like reading essentially right and like uh, provide like lectures or or whatever you want to you know whatever shorter format you want to do to to kind of appeal to kids who are that age yes uh, to who can kind of like get into that stuff right so whether it be the iliad or whether it be you know harry potter or, or um Wow. Yes. I'm interested in talking about all that stuff too, but so that's like one side of it, though, because it seems like there's this other side of it, which is, you know, not just, um, not just criticism slash like inquiry, but like creative output. Yes, um, which is a whole other, you know. So, and I don't know what form exactly that would take, but it seems like that's, you know at least as important is what it sounds like, um, uh, somehow, yeah. Making something right. And, um,
0: yes, because in making something you make yourself because you know, what Peterson often says is he, or the question he poses is, are you what you already know or that which produces knowledge within yourself? Are you the thing which is seeking or the thing which is already a, accomplished so are you the being that you are right now or are you the thing which is trying to improve that being that's moving us forward in a sort of evolutionary way and it's like and i i think about that and uh uh, dante at the beginning of the paradiso he says that so far in the purgatory and the inferno one one peak of mount helicon has been fit for him the the peak of the, the muses, the, the matrons of art from which we get music. And um, so now he needs the second peak sacred to Apollo, the sacred light archer who shoots truth arrows towards the target and hits them. And so does not commit the hamartia sin of missing the mark. Yeah. And so the true aim of art Dante says, especially at a time of social upheaval where those who are good are persecuted for their virtues like him and his great-great-grandfather, Kachaguita, who was a martyr in the failed second crusade that failed to even really make it to Jerusalem. <laughs> um, and of course, Jesus, whom he compares himself to by placing Kachaguita, his great-great ancestor, within the sphere of Mars that takes the distinct shape of a cross, hmm. indicating that they all share in their sort of form of a trinity as a... Um, witnesses to the truth of the meaning of being by representing the truth by sacrificing their life for it in order to witness its utter value over the evil lies of their contemporaries who exiled them in particular ways so actually taking that idea of exile um well i know it's sort of late Wes, and I, i wanted to talk a little bit about what happened in florida yesterday but it might be more appropriate to talk about that tomorrow. We've been going on for some time here. What do you think?
1: Oh yeah, I uh, I can see that. That's uh, we that would be worth making some time for. So yeah, let's um let's make that a separate a separate okay. conversation for tomorrow. Yeah, we'll I, sort can, of I can have tomorrow then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Because I'm I'm starting to run out of steam. I feel like even though I was starting to ramp up a little bit, I it's sort of like you know uh, old. Parmenides and the Parmenides by Plato where, where uh, young Socrates is trying to get him to speak even though Zeno's just given a speech. Socrates knows who has the true wisdom. He goes up to Zeno and he's like, uh, I saw through your entire speech and I saw that you were actually agreeing with your master. Which is interesting because I often think that that was the game that Aristotle and Plato played, which is what gets me in trouble whenever somebody's asking me for, you know, the sort of artificially imposed natural distinction between them. Well, Aristotle believed in the form and matter, and Plato didn't. It's like, that's all such nonsense. How they express their ideas were different. Ernst Cassirer, I think, took care of this very nicely, as well as Al-Farabi. But um, uh, in any case, (laughs) well, it's been a fine conversation with you uh wes and uh i'm i'm really loving this and i'm glad that you enjoyed hearing sarah's thoughts and i really wanted to talk about harry potter and i want to bring up the fact that you're doing that camp this summer which i'm very excited
1: uh about you doing as well absolutely yeah we can i think there's, there's obviously a lot more to say about these things so we can delve into them next time next time
0: all right. Well, wonderful. And I'll just say our outro and then I guess we can go. Um, thank you. This has been the Alexander Schmidt podcast, episode 30, celebratory 30. And uh, West, Mr. Wes, the chance was with us again. And uh, please share, please like, and uh, please comment. Please call in anytime you can ask a question for me, a question, question for Wes. Um, I think we're looking to do about as much talking as people will listen to, maybe even more. So... <laughs> See you next time.